we got special guest uh, today, which I'm so excited about. This is going to be a blast hanging out with our friend Doug Fern. But first, um, this is the roundtable, and basically every week we're just uh, getting brothers and sisters in Christ, different connecting with people during this quarantine time. We're fighting isolation with uh, just fun conversations with with friends, and uh, we're we're coming into this conversation with heavy hearts, and we realize that I feel like in some ways we're kind of tiptoeing our way through a minefield and <laughs> trying to learn, but trying not to offend, trying to speak prophetically, but not insensitively, all, all those things that, that, that I feel coming into this. And I just want to read a proverb today, uh, the proverb of the day, Proverbs 10 says, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Hatred stirs up conflicts, but love covers all offenses. And in verse 20, the tongue of the righteous is pure silver. The heart of the wicked is of little value. I have great news today. We are about to get a fountain of life and a tongue of silver. Uh, because we've got Doug Fern and, and Doug, I can't wait to hear from you uh, during this time. So that's our little intro. And I want to start with uh, Doug. Tell us about yourself. Give us, give us your backstory, a quick bio. Tell us about yourself, like how you came to know the Lord, your family. Uh, just tell us a little bit about, and then we'll get more into your story and, and kind of your passion and mission. So sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, first, thanks, guys. It's a, a, I have a, a deep love for Veritas, and uh, it's a joy to be able to just be with you guys today a little bit. So thanks for the, for the opportunity. Um, so I'm from Dubuque, Iowa. It's where I was born. It's where my family lives. Um, my parents were, uh, grew up in a small farming community outside of Dubuque, Catholic. Uh, my dad accepted, um, he was he had a guy, he was working at the meatpacking plant when he was probably in his 20s after the Vietnam War. And uh, some guy was sharing Jesus with him at this meatpacking plant in Dubuque. And he um, came to know Jesus as a savior, fixing a sink at a meatpacking, at the meatpacking plant in Dubuque in the 80s. Um, so he led my, my mom to the Lord. Um, and uh, Dubuque, if you don't know Dubuque, is, at least when I was growing up, it was very Catholic and very white um, is what Dubuque was. And uh, so, you know, my parents raised us. We were we were part of a church growing up. Emmaus Bible College is in Dubuque, Iowa. And so our church met there was a brethren church. And uh, so our brethren churches, they don't have like pastoral staff. They have kind of a rotating pulpit that the elders just preach. But those preachers were all professors at Emmaus Bible College. So you guys uh, probably know Jim Elliott, uh, one of the guys who died in the, in the uh, was it Alka? Um, Indians. Uh, yep. So Pete Fleming was one of the guys who was with him. Pete Fleming's brother, Ken Fleming, uh, I think he was a missionary for years in Zambia, but he was one of the elders at our staff at the, the church that I grew up in. And so uh, just a real, real Bible centric community, just a love for God's word. And I had the privilege of growing up being just taught God's word by, by men who loved and knew God's word. So I was really looking back at the time, not really sure that I appreciated it, but looking back, it was just seeing how formative that was in my life. 
um, when I was in junior high, I, uh, some of the youngest of five kids. And when I was in junior high, I went to a Bible camp. We had a, a connection with a camp in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. And uh, that's probably where I first really received the gospel, you know, for myself. I was probably in junior high. And there was a, a preacher there. His name was Dwight Knight, who could just preach God's word. Um, and I think it was it was interesting for me because it, not just it was the first time that God's word really came alive to me. Um, and uh, I can just remember as a kid growing up and, and Dwight Knight was kind of this this guy who would he was an itinerant preacher who would go around to camps. He would come into Dubuque and do kind of conferences and, and that type of thing. But just this tall six foot six. Um, African-American guy who could, who could sing and he could preach. And um, he always had about three or four disciples that would like kind of follow him around that he would invest in. He was a man of prayer, a man of the word. And uh, for me, he was probably spiritually speaking growing up was one of the, the biggest uh, influences in my life. So, um, so, you know, uh, <clears throat> probably high school age, high school years, I kind of walked away from the Lord a little bit. Came to the University of Iowa where I got connected with 24-7. And my brother was a few years ahead of me, so he was engaged in that. And uh, spent the first year of college kind of drifting, kind of kind of finding my own way a little bit. And then towards the end of my freshman year is when I really got engaged with the church, um, with 24-7 specifically. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of recommitted my life to the Lord at that point. Um and then uh, spent time just building with some guys from 24-7, spent some time serving overseas um, during my college years. And then, you know, probably towards the end of my college years where I really felt a call for ministry, calling the ministry. And that's kind of how I got kind of started in my current role. Um, I've been doing that, you know, since uh, uh, 2000 is when I came to the university. So uh, married, been married for a while oh, got, <laughs> got married in 06 no, sorry. you want to hear my wife is not watching this <laughs> i got married in, married in 2006 so i'm gonna be celebrating 14 years of marriage here this summer um but uh yeah i love my wife dearly god's really gifted me with a woman who who loves me and who um who loves what we get to do together. Um, and so we have five kids and, uh, she does a, she does a good job of, of kind of keeping me balanced as well. So, um, God's really gifted me with an awesome woman. Um, call my wife. So I have five kids and we, uh, we live in Iowa city. So on staff at Parkview as a campus pastor right now, but then also do faith Academy where I serve as the head of school at faith Academy. And we've started that in 2013. So, um, so there's kind of a flyover. I mean, I, it's interesting when I look back at my life, you know, I really see God's hand in so many ways. Um, and as you just kind of mentioned, you know, earlier, Mark, like, as I think about where we are right now as a nation and kind of just even my path specifically, I look back and I just see, you know, God, even when I was in elementary school, really preparing sort of my life and, and shaping my view of the world in a way that, that, um, really, you know, it, it makes sense that I am where I am today when I look back, you know, so wow. I really had the great fortune and the great blessing of being raised by two, by, by parents who love the Lord. I can remember waking up every morning and seeing them uh, at the kitchen around the table with their Bibles open, 
um, reading the Bible together and praying, usually listen to like, uh, listening to either David Jeremiah or Chuck Swindoll or something like that. I can remember those voices from, from a child, from my childhood. Um, but just really godly parents who mm. modeled well for me, what, it, what it means to be, um, just a follower of Jesus. So my dad was a blue collar man, you know, worked late, you know, laid off in the kind of the recession of the eighties and, um, a hardworking guy. Um, and my mom just retired here recently from, she was a nurse. So very compassionate, um, people as well. So I just have a, a more and more, I think as the years go by, I just am more and more appreciative of, of my parents and, um, as well, their, their influence in my life. So, wow. yeah, it's just a, a quick, yeah. summary. Tell me a little more about your family. So your five kids, are they all, you know, it, biological, adopted? What What's kind of the yeah. story? <clears throat> um, my five kids are all mine. I'll say that. Okay. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, I probably won't get too, too much into detail because of the age, because of our age, we haven't totally shared our whole story with all of our own children, right? So, um, but they're, they're all mine. I'll, I'll just say that. Okay. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that is an awesome way to say that. I love that is it. Awesome. Yeah. That is so and sometimes, it, you know, people see, I'll, I'll show a picture of my family. If that's all right. I don't know if you can see it or not. And maybe the lighting isn't the greatest, but can you tell? Yeah. Okay. So there's, there's our family. That's awesome. Um, and beautiful. Uh, yeah. Beautiful. Love, them, love them to death. Um, and you know, God knew what he was doing when he brought us together. That's for sure. So yeah, that picture makes me want to cry. Yeah. Because I, this week, this Sunday, you know, we've been meeting outside and the last few weeks and there were so many families that were there um, that had just adopted, Mm. you know, very colorful families and, and, uh, one of the families, you know, they're, they have four adopted um, kids from the Congo and then had another one, uh, you know, a biological child who mm-hmm. is as pale white as you could be, you know, this little, I don't know how old Dalton is, two-year-old, he's walking around his little hat to keep him from getting sunburned. And and then his his, you know, brothers and sisters are very dark. And it was yeah. just like, Seeing that family was just one of the most beautiful pictures of God's family with mm-hmm. all the different and and there's something so redemptive and beautiful about it. So I I want to uh, we'll get into some of these conversations, but I, I want to get into your story about your passion mm-hmm. for Faith Academy and the mission there. So I was talking to some old guys this morning. I have a group of old guys that I meet with and. And I said, what would you guys ask Doug? And one of them uh, that's known you for a while, um, he said, the thing that sticks out to me about Doug is his faithfulness and perseverance. Mm -hmm. He said, I never remember him not having this passion. I mean, so (laughs) probably for the last 20 years, he's, he's watched you and he said, ask him, what's his story and how what has enabled him to sustain this? Because there's been so many roadblocks, so many obstacles. And it's kind of a miracle that you're sitting in an office right now at a place where the fulfillment of a vision 
tell us the story about Faith Academy. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is. Probably appreciate that comment, you know, that it is, you know, it is, uh, it is the hand of God, you know, I mean, I, I, there's nothing within me, you know, um, and, and again, I, you know, I think there's probably people who've worked with me closely over the past couple of years or number of years who probably could say yes and amen. It is not, it is not his leadership or his gifting that's brought us here. <laughs> is, in spite of those things, the inability of those things that God continues to work. So, I mean, I just, you know, I think the, the, probably the number one sanctifying thing in my life has been marriage, you know, um, revealing to me like, Oh man, I'm not that great of a person. <laughs> um, I've got some weaknesses some things I, I need to grow in. And, and number two has been serving a ministry where, you know, you're leading people who are looking for direction and like, wow, I need to get it together. You know? So, um, I mean the, the, the journey of faith Academy and just kind of where I'm at right now, um, you know, with, with ministry has been, um, you know, if you would have asked me 15 years ago or 20 years ago, what was in store, I would not have said, you know, a school that would not have at all been something I would have thought I would have been a part of. But I think throughout my life, um, serving in a different culture would easily be something I would have said I, I've had a strong passion for pretty much all my life. And specifically, you know, within the African-American culture, um, you know, I can remember sitting on a park bench when I was about four years old. I wasn't in, in elementary school yet, but I, this, this is like one memory that's just burned in my mind. And um, my mom, we were watching my brother play baseball, Floor Park in Dubuque, Iowa. And there was a family that was there that was an African-American family. And I can remember as a four-year-old seeing the family there and asking my mom, you know, if she, would she ever have another kid, you know? And my mom was like, no, that's not happening, you know? Um, but the next question that came out of my mouth was, if you did, do you think there's a chance it might be an African-American kid, you know? And she began to explain to me how <laughs> that worked or how it didn't work in our family situation. Um, you know, and I can just remember that conversation was just burned into my head as a child, like just the, the differences that it began a me, it began the process of me thinking through what are the differences between my family and that family. Um, and I mean, no joke throughout elementary school, just all the way up through my life. I mean, it is probably the one issue outside of Jesus and you know, like, and obviously these things are related in theology that I give my most sort of like thought power to, you know, mm. is race and culture. Mm. Uh, when I was in fourth grade, our elementary school hired an African-American principal. His name was Dr. Jerome Greer. I was in fourth grade and Dubuque was incredibly white at that time. Still is, but I think it's, it's, it's definitely grown more diverse in the last couple of years. But um, Dr. Jerome Greer came to Irving Elementary when I was in fourth grade as the principal, and he was the first administrator that was an African-American administrator within the school district, the only one. And if you guys are from Iowa, you probably remember, I, I, Mark, you're from Nebraska, is that right? From Omaha, yeah. Omaha. And Jeff, where are you originally from? Yeah, Northern from? Iowa. Yep. Okay, yeah. So that was, in, that was in the early 90s when that happened. And um, 
the town did not like the fact that we had an African-American principal. And so I came to school one morning and there was in my, right in front of my fourth grade window, there was the char marks on a tree where they had burned a cross the night no before. Way. Yeah. And so we had Phil Donahue, Oprah Winfrey, you know, all the, the sort of talk show people were in our school. 2020 was there that week. Um, KKK marched that weekend um, downtown in Dubuque. And there was some tremendous, um, there were several personalities within our community were very racist and outspoken racist, basically saying, hey, we're not having, we're not having a black principal for leading our kids, you know, and very outspoken, overt racism. And I can just remember that as a kid and my parents, you know, just really guiding me on how to process through what we were seeing. How could somebody not love this man? You know, he was an awesome, awesome, one of the kindest souls I've ever met. And trying to think through how somebody could hate him and 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 do this was really because you know my parents they raised us on Christian values. If there were African American um, people in our community, a number of them were in our family through adoption. Through so my aunt and had adopted a number of African American kids, so we kind of grew up and our families were very close. And I you know just always thought like this is just how families are, you know. And it wasn't until I got to elementary school when I began to realize, okay, no families aren't like this. <laughs> you know, and people don't accept and embrace one another like this. So, I mean, there's just event after event after event growing up that, that as I look back at, it, I say, okay, God was really preparing me for kind of what I'm doing now, you know, and shaping my, my worldview and my view of other um, at that time. So, so race and culture have just really dominated my thinking really my entire life. Um, you know, it wasn't until when I was in college, when I began to realize, and this is not a knock against Parkview. I love Parkview to death. Um, but, you know, it was when I was in college when I realized that we, as a church, we weren't really active in not just the racial conversation, but also just the sort of like serving in our community wasn't something that we were doing a ton of. We had a, a, a vibrant college ministry, but we didn't have a lot of of organized ministry to be kind of salt and light in our community. Um, and so when you start to think of like serving the poor, the marginalized, I mean, you're only, you can't get one step down that path without automatically starting to think about race because so, you know, social you know, class and race in our country are really the same conversation. Right. So, um, so when I got into college, I mean, just naturally that kind of, you know, I just remember the day, um, I think it was, it was Doug Schillinger, who was a youth pastor at the time, who was beginning to hear of my heart for serving the community. And uh, he said, you know, why don't you come someday to there's this guy who picks up kids and does a big brother, big sister kind of program at the church on Sunday afternoons. And he had about, you know, 12 or so boys that were at church that Sunday. He was feeding them a meal, teaching them a lesson, and then he spent all day with them. And he said, why don't you show up to that and help this guy out? He needs some help. So I walked into that room and I'm telling you, I mean, I've like as soon as I crossed the threshold of that door, I, I just can't explain it in any other way than like, I just knew God said, this is where I'm going to have you. Um, and he's done nothing but confirm that calling in my life. I mean, pretty much since then, since that day, you know, so I walked into that room and I just, I just felt at home. It's probably the best way I can describe it. Hmm. Um, you know, I found there's about six boys. I have this another desk picture I have on my desk. There's this four of them before the guys who I started mentoring when they were, you know, probably in fifth or sixth grade. And, um, I just, I just, you know, fell in love with that 
with those boys, with this community. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's the only thing that really ever made sense for me when I think about like, just what am I going to do with my life? It was that, that just made sense. So I was a school bus driver at the time and my boss would let me take the bus out so we could be a little more safe. We put gas in it and I just picked the bus up early Sunday morning. We'd drive all around the community, picking up kids. I mean, looking back at it, this would not fly. Okay. <laughs> I would not rewrite the script in this way in any, any way, shape or form, but we would just pick up kids. You know, we'd pick up Terrence. Terrence would say, Hey, would you mind go get my, my cousin Kiwan? He's over on Hollywood court, we'd slide down to, to Hollywood court, scoop up Kiwan. He'd have two or three kids with them. They jump in. And within about six weeks, it went from about 12 kids to about like 60 kids that were just, and they all had my cell phone number. And so I'd hang out with them Friday nights. We go to the rec center. I had this little crappy Dodge Duster car. And I'm telling you, I would just unsafely cram kids in there. And I would just, I just would spend all weekend doing stuff um, with these kids, you know? So, and I just loved it. I mean, honestly, at that time it was more for me, you know, than it probably was for them. It was, if for me, it was making sense of like God's calling on my life. Um, and I still, you know, still talk to them just constantly, you know, some of them more than others. There's a few of them that are, have made some poor choices in life and have caused communication to be a little bit harder. Um, but, uh, you know, Terrence is one who, you know, me and him are probably the closest right now. He just moved down to Phoenix and um, just watching him grow into a man has been, you know, much like with my kids, it's one of the greatest joys of my life, you know? Um, so, yeah, but you're right. There's been all kinds of, I think, I don't remember if I was talking about this with you guys or not, but when I first started this, I remember thinking Doug Schillinger was like, Hey, you need to get, you need to get some help. Think about all the other people at 24 seven and at our church who could, who could be blessed the way you're being blessed. We need to get some help. And I remember thinking to myself, no way. Like I, this is, this is for me. I want, you know, I don't want to share this with anybody else. Once it opens up, like everybody's going to want to be a part of this. And I've never been so wrong in my life. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, honestly, there was, there was two or three individuals who stepped up. Um, Heidi Anderson, who teaches in the Iowa city school district that start up to really kind of with, with the, with the girls. Um, but you know, there just wasn't one or two guys would come down every now and then and they would, they were not, uh, you know, and I think it was that they were so out of their comfort zone, right. That, uh, they just wanted, they didn't, you know, it was like, this is not for me. I need something that's a little easier, you know? Um, and for me, I have kind of a track record of just getting in way over my head. And so it made sense for me and my personality, <laughs> but, um, yeah. So I was, that was, I think my first surprise was how, how hard it was going to be to get people to want to participate in it, you know? Mm. So, and that was probably the first obstacle to overcome and, you know, but God's just, he's he's paved a, a way forward. Which I, I would, like I said before, I would not have anticipated or suspected. So I probably didn't answer your question, so but that, I mean, it just gives you maybe a little more. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to me. So it starts off as you as a college student jumping into this, you know, with these guys and then, kind of it grows and at what point does it become an official thing? I mean, I've oh, heard yeah. of the spot and yeah. what was, yeah. Yeah. We Organizationally, probably, what was the progression? Actually, Doug, let me jump in there too, because I remember when you showed me that picture um, and that, that picture that you held up there was actually also part of that story, right. Of, of yeah. being with those guys and, and watching their lives, especially as they got older 
tell, tell that part of the story, kind of the, I don't know, the heartache or, or what, what caused oh. you to say, man, I got to do more or whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I guess to answer both of those things, you know, organizationally, you know, we just, it was pretty organic and natural for the first couple of years. And really it was kind of like, you know, the guy who was before me, his name is Scott Johnson. Um, you know, he, he just really invested in the power, just that individual relationship and the, the need for that. And so, um, and to me, that was the most life-giving aspect of the ministry was being able to get into their lives, you know, discover what these kids were, you know, really more than anything, just to have fun too. I mean, it wasn't always me. I think that's the problem is that we create sort of this like natural hierarchy where it's like, let me pull you up to my level. Um, and for me, it was like, no, I mean, more than anything, it was, it was, it was me trying to me be a student to learn, you know, from them, what, what life was like. And they taught me probably more than I taught them to be honest. So, um, for me, that, that personal relationship with those kids is what kept me going, you know, is what fed me throughout the time was, um, was being able to connect with them personally. Um, it, it did grow eventually into, into a, um, you know, we got the spot location was probably maybe a year and a half after just kind of running programs out of the church. We desired to be in the neighborhood, reach more. And so we did that. Kind of the challenge with that was that I was always kind of off on my own, doing my own thing. And so the, the big challenge was how do we bridge these two, what's happening at Parkview and the spot? How do we make sure that they're, and sometimes that was a battle I wanted to fight. And sometimes I was like, you know, honestly, it's just easier if I can just kind of do my thing, you know, with our team and with the people who get it rather than always kind of trying to, to bridge that. But, you know, Jeff, to your comment, you know, for these kids, I think kind of what transitioned from the spot ministry, which was largely after school programs, day camps, um, mentoring, you know, uh, it was not really, I mean, there's each night would be kind of a different focus on a different grade of, you know, age level of kids, but, you know, probably about doing that for about 10 years is when I began to realize, step back and really say like, okay, is this actually working? You know, am I, are these young men, you know, is there, has their like trajectory of their life been altered in any way, shape or form? And I think wrestling with that question is what caused me and some folks on our team to step back and say, we got to do something different. You know, honestly, relationship is key. It's so good. You know, discipleship is necessary. Um, but if I'm seeing these kids for three, four hours a week, am I really making that big of a difference? You know, and then, you know, so, uh, that's where we began to think more strategically about what are some significant needs in our community that, that you know, that some of our families are struggling with. Um, and then it just so happened that those needs were also like massive opportunities because of Iowa City being an educational community. Right. So um, that that's kind of how the vision for Faith Academy came was was honestly was one of those guys. I was just really frustrated with how what his experience was in um, you know, academically and you'd sit down with these guys and open the Bible and they're 16 years old. And they're hardly able to read like, okay, this is a massive problem, you know? So that's where the vision for faith Academy began to kind of get some legs. Mm. So I don't know if that answers your question or not. Yeah. So tell us about faith Academy. What, yeah. and what was the next step in that? Did you have a model that you looked at and said, let's do this? Was this yeah. kind of a, yeah. Tell us about the. Faith sure. Once I, I mean, probably about three or four months of just like wrestling with conceptually what's wrong, what's broken, and then kind of beginning phases of how can we fix it. 
um, I just did a stupid Google search, <laughs> which I've, you know, I tell you what, some of yeah, these Google searches, man, I found some amazing, it really got me. Yeah. So I typed in the keywords were classical Christian education, uh, inner city. Okay. And the first hit, <laughs> the first hit, because what I was wrestling with was, you know, we're thinking about what are we going to do with our kids just personally, right? How are we going to like what schooling system we're going to put our kids in? And then I began to pull back and think through, OK, we can maybe homeschool our kids. But, you know, we can do that because, you know, I'm working. My wife is at home. If I'm a single parent, I don't have any options and I don't have a lot of money I'm sitting on. I got no I got one option. Right. It's not even an option. It's the only thing I can do. So. Um, so all of those kind of factors came together. We discovered a school up in Minneapolis called Hope Academy and Hope Academy was you know, we did a quick, I did, you know, kind of survey, I called them, emailed back and forth, got a, a glimpse of kind of what they do. And, um, you know, I, I was, I've seen enough sort of social programs that have a lot of great stuff on paper on the screen. And then you just scratch a little bit beneath the surface. And you're like, okay, this is not really the same thing, you know? So we just went up there, a team of us did, we saw it in the flesh and we're like, this is it. And they were so cooperative. They basically gave us their playbook. This is how you do things. We contextualized it for our community and some just some different things. Um, we, in some ways, had the advantage of 10 years of long, hard work in the community. And so establishing ourselves could happen, could kind of in sort of an expedited sort of way, because we already had that relational clout, right? Um, and so, you know, from the time it, we got introduced to the concept would have been sort of like, late spring of 2013 and by the fall of that year we were opening the doors for the school so it, it happened pretty quick <laughs> wow <laughs> where angels fear to tread man you yeah diving yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean what, it was yeah what what have you seen what have the results been did it work has Can it you worked? say that one more time sorry it's kind of breaking up yeah what have the results been has it worked oh what, yeah what have you seen yeah I would say uh, the results have been far greater than what I would have thought or imagined um, in terms of academics. Um, we're doing way better than I would have imagined us being able to do. I mean, in theory, we thought, okay, we can do some stuff, but man, Iowa city schools have, are great. You know, can we really, you know, we really do a better job than them, you know, and I wouldn't say we're doing a better job, you know, necessarily, but um, we're able to, uh, we're able to, where academics are concerned, we're able to do it in a much more sort of individualized way, right? We can differentiate across the classroom so kids with different needs can get a little more attention. It's almost like a boutique, you know, sort of uh, approach in the classroom. Um, I mean, obviously the curriculum we're using is, it's pretty comparable to what Iowa City Schools would use. Um, we have definitely an obvious emphasis on faith and biblical literacy. And so, you know, it, that's been one for me, that's been real fun. I've kind of adapted the new city catechism for our kind of whole school scope and sequence of curriculum. Um, so we do a chapel every day and I, I walk through that cate that catechism um, with the students and that's been really fun to do. Um, and then they all have their sort of individualized sort of, you know, Bible curriculum as well, in addition to that. Um, so, you know, biblically, they're more literate, but then, you know, from a statistically um, proficient in reading is probably the easiest one. I mean, uh, there's some massive disparities, right, in 
uh, those who are below the, the, the standard of, you know, who qualify for federal uh, free and reduced lunch program, um, massive disparities in our state, even in, in, in our county. Um, and so we've, we've actually been able to get where our students typically would be maybe about 40% of our students would be proficient. We've been able to raise that to actually exceeding our, our um, just regular student average of like, uh, usually between 75 and 80% proficient. Right. So, um, and that fluctuates from one year to the next, but that is by, I mean, that's way more than, than we thought we would be doing, you know, and the, and the other aspect of it too is, so the, the academic piece, I feel like is really good and strong. We're constantly reevaluating. We have the freedom. That's the best part is we have the freedom to do what we feel like is the best for the student. And we can change that whenever we want to change it. There's not a lot of red tape, you know? So, um, now we want to be cautious with that. We don't want to just haphazardly just start doing stuff, but, um, I mean, that's one of the, the advantages to our sort of structure and our system. The other thing in terms of fruit would be, you know, we're, I, in the first month of doing the school, I had more parent interactions than I had probably in the previous 10 years, you know, because we were providing our parents with something they wanted. And we said, if you want this, then this is what we need from you. Um, and where before it was more like, I'd show up, Hey, my name is Doug. I'm from the church. And they'd be like, all right, you know, take the kids. And it was like, okay, but I couldn't really, you know, that relation there was outside of a few isolated places, that real relationship, you know, it, it, it just took a really long time to develop. Um, now looking back at it, we were able to build faith Academy on those 10 years of like relational work in the community. You know, so some of our first kids that have come here, you know, their parents were kids who used to come here as spot kids. So they know me as Doug from the spot, not as Mr. Fern from Faith Academy, you know. And what that means is I can talk to them on a level that your typical principal wouldn't be able to do. You know, um, I can shoot straight with them and they they trust me um, in, in a way that now that's not every parent that comes here. Many of them, you know, come and are new to this, to like me and the community. And so you have to build that trust, but on, in some ways, um, just the name and the history allows us to like, just kind of speed up that process, which has been, I think the other real key piece. I mean, this year in the last, you know, just in the last six months of this past year is really, just really terrible, but I've been able to walk through two families at our school, that had really devastating things happen. So I've, I've married, like officiated the wedding for some of our families. And I've now done two funerals for some of our families. Mm-hmm. You know, this past year we had a, a little baby girl who died, um, who was, you know, just six months old. And that was devastating for our school for, um, the, you know, her brothers and sisters were all in the school here. And then we had uh, another boy who lost his grandma, which was his primary caretaker. Um, to cancer in December. So I got to, you know, I got to be in that room and, and hold her hand when she took her last breath, you know, with her, um, with her family members around her and, you know, they don't go to church anywhere, you know, they didn't, they weren't going to church anywhere. So it was like, I was like their principal and their pastor sort of simultaneously, you know? Um, and that's just been a real, um, for me, it's been really hard um, and being brought into some of those things, but it's also been just a huge honor, you know, to mm-hmm. be able to be a part of people's lives in some of those real key moments. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, I was going to say just if back up just for a minute and just give some kind of general, give the profile, like how many students, the ages or grades that you have, just kind of give yeah. people the scale of what you're doing, because it's, it's pretty, 
unbelievable <laughs> that you've been able to pull off. <laughs> I mean, it's so anyway, yeah, just, yeah. just, get, just the general profile. Yeah. Faith yeah. Academy. Sure. We have, so K through six, we are right now. We've been K through six is our second year. Just finishing up our second year is K through six. Um, we started with kindergarten, first grade and added a grade every year. We cap our classes at 15 students. And so um, we have 105 is the max if we have all seven grades with 15 kids in it. Usually we're between 90 and 100 from one year to the next. Um, and so there has been an, an you know, like a dis- increase in demand, you know, so usually like in February, our kin- incoming kindergarten class fills up now and we have a wait list generated. So we're, we're if our first five year goal was to get K through six, the second five year goal was to like maintain K through six, like get our legs underneath us. Right. And then, you know, we're praying about kind of what that next five year sort of goal could be if it's um, expanding beyond six or if it's maybe multiple grade, you know, I, I'm a huge advocate for the earlier you know, the, the better, you know, an emphasis on the, on the younger years, you know, you you learn to read K through three. And then after that, everything is you, you read to learn. So those K through three years are real critical. I, I see, but, but anyways, um, our typical profile of a student would be 80% of our school qualifies for free and reduced lunch. Um, if you were to look at, you know, a picture of our school, you would see probably 95% would be minority. There's an increasing um, segment of our school that is uh, from Western Africa. So um, Congolese um, families, especially. Um, and uh, yeah, that's kind of just a snapshot. So mm-hmm. K through six. Talk about the cost, parent involvement, mm-hmm. how yeah. you're funded. Yeah, so we're funded, you know, through primarily through private donors and through partnerships, you know, like Veritas um, and other churches in town who sponsor, you know, sponsor the school. So no federal dollars right now. We do have a little bit as we started accreditation, we have some funding that we can use for it's very limited, but for some added resources for like ELL and so for some students with uh, with special needs. Um, so there's some limited funding that we get from that, but aside from that, it's all just personal donations. Parkview allows us to use the space for free. Um, we are our own nonprofit. And so our heart is to become more and more, um, you know, to have more and more church, broader church support within the Johnson County area. Um, but you know, it costs about $7,200, $7,500 a year for a student to go here. Um, obviously if we just filled the class with 15 more kids, we could bring that number down a little bit per student, but it doesn't change how much it actually costs. Right. So, um, so, I mean, really God has provided last year we had, uh, like 2018, 2019 was a really difficult financial year for us. We saw a lot of increase, um, in the giving about 20% from one year to the next, our, but you know, our, in, our, our donations increased about 20%. So we planned a budget that next year that would kind of reflect that. And we only increased it by 2%, the donations. And so we started off last year, like in a really tough spot. And it was, it was questionable whether or not we were going to be able to continue, Um, you know, by God's grace. I mean, we were, we were super negative in the month of November, like North of $150,000 in the hole. And we were like, you know, we have to do something's got to give at some point. And we had, from November to, to February, the amount of money that came in was just unbelievable. Our year end giving was like, I think it was ended up being about $186,000 that came in just in the month of December. I mean, it was unbelievable. Um, and 
by God's grace, we're ending the year in the black, which is, um, I mean, if you, if we would have told you that in November, you'd have been like, not a chance, you know? So, um, so God just really provided, um, you know, just not to be able to do our banquet this year was a real challenge for us. How are we going to pull that off? But man, people really responded. So, um, so to me, it, it continues to say that, um, not only is there a, is there a need or students you know coming in here, but I think more and more people are getting the vision and understanding um, really the opportunity for the gospel in our community and how Faith Academy is a strategic could play a real strategic role in um, in in transforming our community. So if, so if somebody listening wanted to get involved, what would they do? Yeah, great question. Um, I would direct them immediately just to the website. I mean, on the website, we have different ways that folks can, you know, volunteer and ways that they can donate, whether it's financially or in-kind donations. Um, you know, we direct them there. And many of the things that we have around here are not our ideas, but they're volunteers who step forward and said, hey, could you guys use, you know, and next thing you know, our team is like, yeah, let's do it. And, and we make it happen. So, um, I mean, just like even like, one guy makes sandwiches and he wanted to donate sandwiches for our food. I mean, our, outside of our payroll, our sandwiches were our biggest expense about, or sorry, food was our basic, biggest expense about $30,000 a year. And this guy makes sandwiches and ships them all across the country. And he started supplying for us lunch and saved us $30,000 a year because he gives us lunch every day. You know, we didn't have a, a fridge to put it in. So he's like, oh, I'll buy a fridge for you. So you can just come out once a week and pick it up. Great. Our van started breaking down on the way out there. And he's like, how about I get you a van? So, so he bought us a 2016 Ford Transit. Um, I just keep thinking, man, I'm going to start walking out there with like some beat up shoes and see if I can get a nice <laughs> pair of J's afterwards. <laughs> but I mean, just people, I mean, just got, I, it's been one of the most, so you guys know, I mean, as a pastor, at least at Parkview, we don't know who gives what, you know, I don't know. Um, and this has been one of the most like humbling and benefits for you is to watch people respond through generosity. Um, it, it's amazing. Uh, it, it's incredibly humbling when you look at like a spreadsheet with people's names and you see their sacrifice and their giving. And, um, you know, so from Faith Academy side, I'm intimately involved in all that stuff. Um, and it's, it's really powerful. I mean, to, to see God work through people. Um, and that's what he's doing, you know, so. Mm. So in this, in this most recent, just cultural moment, I guess we'll call it that we're having. Um, it's your just love for the community, but especially our diverse community that's put you on the forefront of being able to rally God's people, the churches together. And so talk about your passion for the, even the prayer vigil. And, mm -hmm. and I think why you were able, I think, to call the kind of collective leaders together that you were, you know? Yeah. Well, I think, <clears throat> I think there's two, two, two parts to it. <laughs> One is, you know, this moment is undeniable, right? I mean, you cannot, you cannot be, you know, connected to what's happening, like aware, watching the images and deny 
that something is really off and wrong and broken in our country. You just can't, you know, even if you don't know what it is, you can see everybody else's pain. You know, you just can't deny it. Right. And so I think one collectively recognizing that something's got to change, you know, but then the second piece to that, and I resonate with, with that. Absolutely. I mean, when I was, so, you know, when the George Floyd thing happened, I was like maybe a day late to seeing the video and to really, I saw a little bit of comments here and there. It wasn't until Tuesday, I think that I really was like, wow, what is, what is going on? And then, and then the next day watching my Twitter feed, watching my Facebook and just talking with some of my friends, it was clear to me that it was at a, this was the response was at a whole nother level that I had not seen before. This is before any of the protests really happened. So just as a church, we're like, okay, you know, I don't personally make it a habit of addressing everything that happens, you know, in the media and, you know, so, but this just was so different, you know, it was clear that, okay, we have to say something, but then by, by Thursday with the protest, then it's like, okay, what we have to say is probably going to be different, you know, but I think the, the two things are one, something is, is totally broken. And I think there was finally maybe a consensus to that within the broader evangelical world. There's still some who I think want to fight against it a little bit maybe, but um, the, the awareness was as broad as it's ever been from what I could tell. And the second thing was there was also a collective, and this is, these both are unusual, a collective recognition that we don't know what to do about it. Right. So things are broke. Okay. Finally, everybody's saying, yeah, things are jacked up. And two, we're all looking at each other. Like what, what do I say? Right. What do I do as a white male pastor? What's my responsibility? How do I respond to this? You know? So I think those two things together to me, you know, I'd seen them at a level I'd not seen them before, you know? So I think that was kind of the impetus to like, okay, you know, just Saturday morning, it was just, I, I was driving out to that Saturday morning. We were out of Veritas for, yeah. Yeah. Right. I was on my way out there and I just was thinking to myself, what is anybody doing anything about this in their community? You know, I didn't like have a big plan or anything. I just called up, you know, pastor green over at life church. And I could just, when, when he answered the phone, like, I don't ever call rich. I mean, I will text back and forth, you know, but I called him and he, I was surprised he answered. And I was like, okay, rich, I know I'm just by ruining your morning coffee. So sorry for, for interrupting your day, but what's going on? And Rich didn't have an answer. He's like, I don't know what, nothing that I know of right now. And I called, you know, Pastor uh, Boyer's sister, Elder Bernie, called a few other folks, like anything happening? And the answer was no. So then it was like, okay, well, we have to do something, right? So uh, that was, there wasn't really any sort of agenda outside of just trying to bring folks together to help people think through how do we respond, you know? So there's something, though, there's something about, you called us to fast and pray last Wednesday. And I just have to tell you being on my knees mm. on that concrete outside of Parkview, mm. praying with brothers and sisters, you know, black, Brown, white, we were all together praying, being led um, by mm. different people from the stage. There was something so powerful and the contrast of that prayer gathering with the mob with spray paint cans that that nailed the interstate this that crossed each other you know yeah. only missed each other by maybe a couple hours but yeah. 
what a contrast. It was such a sanctuary. Mm. And there was, I mean, man, it was like the spirit of God was, was palpable. I mean, that sense of God is here right now. Mm-hmm. I, thank you for that. And, and I, I, I just, I, you know, last, uh, Jeff was that Monday that you and I went to the old Capitol mm-hmm. in Iowa city, just a prayer walk. And as we were walking over the graffiti sidewalk going up to this beautiful iconic structure Mm. there was something as we prayed that all of a sudden it just there was clarity there was there was a a like we don't know what to do and as soon as we started praying it was like this Mm -hmm. this is what we like if my people will humble themselves and pray. I mean, we, I think we talk about humbling ourselves and praying, but when you do it and you're there, I don't know, Jeff, that was just like those two experiences, that Wednesday of the prayer time that you led, Doug, and the time of just prayer walking the old Capitol. Oh, it, something I, I agree, Doug. I think your initiative to do that just for my soul personally, I mean, you know, just somehow by God's goodness, I got to sit right, right next to mm-hmm. pastor Boyer, you know? And so handing her Kleenex as she wept during the time of confession and prayer, you know, and then being led by her in a joyful response after getting off our knees. I mean, that part was, uh, I'll never forget those moments for the rest of my life, you know? But even Doug, I mean, God's spirit was really, um, you were caught up in the spirit as well. You had a prophetic voice that night. You just, I felt like, um, yeah, like I've told you before, like he has raised you up for this moment in this hour. And even when you just spoke to the people that had gathered, it, it was just like a new person, you know, like a, 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 a just this, a compelling voice from God was, was coming from you, you know? And so, yeah, we, we went into that. It's not like we had swapped notes with each other to make sure we're in this perfect synchrony or, I mean, it was just, let's get together, everybody do your part. And then God really was the one that, that wove the whole thing together. And it it was, it set the pace, I think for everybody that was gathered there, it set the pace for us mm-hmm. to encounter even like Mark's talking about the, the, the violence and everything else that would come. I think we had our hearts and our focus on Christ and we're ready to be, to speak more truth and grace uh, because we'd spent that time together before him, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, to me, it was really powerful just to do it together. Honestly. I mean, I think um, it was like we were speaking kind of with one voice, you know, which I think, I mean, you guys have been, Veritas has been here for maybe 10 years now. Is that right? And, um, Iowa city has had a hard time figuring out what the, is there a collective voice, you know, for the body of Christ and sort of, you know, it's just been a hard one in Iowa city, especially, you know? So for me, that was, I told (laughs) when Dave Conrad's from Genesis, um, sat down, uh, he's kind of sitting next to me 
And I, after he got done sharing just about lament, I leaned over to him and I was just like, can you be my pastor? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he just, he just had such a great, everybody, I mean, Jeff, what you shared, everybody, everybody brought sort of a unique perspective and, and, and also kind of, I feel like pulled back the curtain a little bit and shared like, this is how I'm processing this. Um, and I think that there's, I think there's something that was really powerful about that. And I talked to Pastor Boyer, saw her last night again, and she just, can, she said the same thing she said Wednesday. She said, that was so, I you know, just thank you for including me. And, and for her, I mean, she's been one who, because she's a female, because she's African-American, a lot of times she has been kind of marginalized from other groups. And so um, she's such a dear, dear friend. Um, it, it, so we both have been kind of marginalized from different circles over the years. So that's kind of what brought us to, <laughs> as kind of <laughs> the, the reason why we have a friendship, you know, but um, yeah, I mean, everybody, everybody that I talked to that was on that stage was just like, like felt ministered to, you know, mm-hmm. I did. I mean, we were all on some probably level in tears and it was powerful for me. So and I, I think it was also just good to see, I mean, there are folks in there who I know I've had difficult conversations with over the years and who I know probably stand maybe politically in some different places than I do, but it was good to see them there and to see them, you know, not in their heads. And it's just something powerful about that, you know? So Doug, let me ask you this. So this is part of humility is having a, a listening heart and inviting. I mean, how many Proverbs are there about the wise person that invites rebuke, listens mm. to correction, instruction. Mm. And I want to give, I want to give you a moment to speak as the teacher to someone like me. And, and here's a context. I'm going to ask this question from two different angles. Yeah. You know, you're going to get emails mm. the week after a service. Someone's mad that you didn't say enough. Someone's mad that you said too much. The first person I want you to talk to is like, what would you tell? What perspective would you want to give to a white person Mm. who comes to you, maybe concerned that you, you, you went a little too far, that you're, it feels like you're pushing kind of a leftist, you know, agenda on us, you know, the kind of the, the more conservative Fox news watching white person who, who comes concerned. What, what would you, what would you want them to know now? Now let's just say I'm that person. Mm -hmm. Talk to me freely. (laughs) Like don't hold any punches. What would you want me gently you know, to know Mm. what's the perspective you would say, let me help you under like see this from maybe a little bit different lens. Yeah. It's a great question. (laughs) And it's not an abstract question, is it, man? You get, (laughs) you understand. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, and, and, and part of, you know, Mark, I just, as sort of a fallible, you know, individual, uh, 
you know, I've had the conversation many times and I've, I've also failed at, you know, being successful in converting them to, you know what I mean? So I don't know what the right way is to respond, I guess, because uh, I'm still, I'm still, there's plenty of battles I'm still kind of fighting right now, to be honest. But I mean, what I, what I try to, you know, you mentioned at the beginning, there's so many landmines and, um, you know, I, where this conversation is concerned and the conversation can't happen without using language, right? Part of what our challenge is, is our language has been sort of co-opted in some ways by the broader culture. And so it makes it hard for me to say, we did a preaching series on the book of Amos, uh, last summer. And, uh, you know, I used the word privilege real specifically in one of those messages, and I didn't refer to white privilege at all, right? Um, like intentionally, because there are there are words that you use that as soon as somebody hears them, they instantly place you on one side of the equation. So my first approach is if it was people who I am like shepherding and I'm like helping them, you know, it's not just a one-off conversation then I'm, I, you know, then I am, I'm real intentional about, okay, let's, let's use this language. Let's redefine these terms. Let's make sure we're operating from the same sort of premise, right? If it's somebody who I don't have the ability to do that, then I completely abandon that language and try to get to a place where we can at least have some commonality, like, okay, love, right? So love is a great place to start because Jesus talks a lot about love. You know, the Bible has a great deal to say about the importance of loving God and loving others, you know? And so for me, I try to get them to, to agree that this is, you know, if we're summing up the Bible and its commands, we can do so in these sort of two commands. And then if the next move can be, okay, how then do you love your brother and sister? Um, who had, you know, and so I try to, to, you know, as they kick back arguments, then I try to run it through that filter real quick. Is that, is that loving, you know, your brother, is that loving your sister, you know, or is this, you know, if you see this act happen is your first response because you love them, is it to be heartbroken for them and to want to, you know, come alongside and help or whatever. So, I mean, to me, I, I think language is a key piece when you have the conversation, what language are you using? Right. And so usually I try to filter out real quick what set of like words I have to work with. You know, that's probably like my first task uh, because, you know, I want to be sensitive to that. But, you know, the other the other piece to it, too, is is for me um, historically and the cultural moment makes it so much more difficult. But um you know, I think, you know, in 2016, when there's lots of talk about what does it mean to be evangelical and sort of the four you know, basic tenets of evangelicalism, you know, that Bible people that were uh, cross centric. Um, the, uh, what's the other one? There's the action tenant, right? Do you guys know the four I'm talking about? There's the, okay. Is there something about evangelism? Yeah. Or evangelism no? is kind of the last, like we are, you know, so we're, we're people who are Bible centric we're cross-centric. Oh, and that we have a, a defining sort of salvific moment. So emphasis on salvation, like I was born, born again on this day, whatever. And then that we are active, our faith is active, right? And so I think across evangelicalism, we've often defined activism within our faith as sharing our faith verbally, you know, for the sake of salvation. And it's not been defined as, 
social work, right? Social justice, social love, activism, or whatever. So, um, and I think that's where right now we're we're kind of at a maybe a turning point where we're identifying that actually whatever. So, I mean, language is so stinking critical, and we see it with the evangelicalism in, in the critique of evangelical America. Um, and you know, as much as I can just take people and point and say, let's, let's have a conversation here. There's a dear brother who is very critical of my take on race and culture. And so we just say, let's open up the Bible and let's get around language that is not being, you know, introduced or co-opted and let's just get around God's word and let's read it together and let's discover what it has to say. Obviously, you know, theologians have been doing that for years and still come out in different places. Um, but at least allows us to have the conversation on the terms that we should be having it on. And so, I mean, I stopped listening to news like CNN and Fox News probably three years ago because it was influencing the way I spoke about things. And to me, that set me at a disadvantage, right? Because I had to like unlearn some of the talking points so I could actually. So uh, to me, it's just been as much as I can keep my nose in the book um, and, and point people back there that's the common ground that we have to work with, right? So, um, Wow, that statement, I had to unlearn some of the talking points. Yeah. And get my head in the book. Yeah. <laughs> wow, I, that is such a great word. I, Doug, isn't this, isn't this how it is, Jeff? You know, you know this, it, take this out of the race issue, but just take it, I mean, Doug, if somebody comes to your church and says, hey, is, you know, is Parkview a spirit-filled church? Mm. You know the conversation that you're about to have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or is this charismatic? Are you guys yeah. charismatic? Like, okay, let's go back and, like, on the one hand, of course we're spirit-filled, but on the other, of course not, based on what, depending on, what you mean. And, and so I think that like someone coming to you and saying, are you a, are you a social justice Christian? It's a very similar yeah. conversation about, well, what do you mean by, you know, obviously justice mm -hmm. is all throughout the scripture. Right. I mean, you could almost make the argument that it's a thread that goes through every page of the Bible. Yeah. But how you define that. And, and I think that's a good word. Just thinking mm -hmm. about language in any, I think it's true in any uh, philosophical conversation is just understanding um, words and being careful. And I think, yeah. I mean, justice is probably the big word that, you know, as, culture like our culture around us is clamoring for is demanding right but you know jeff you mentioned this in your class like when it's talked about especially in like the prophets you know it's that couplet of righteousness and justice that are oftentimes together right that that justice is based on a on a prescribed morality and understanding of righteousness right and so the reason we can't agree on justice is because we have a different from, from culture. You know, I'm talking about, we, I'm saying like the culture of the church is because we have a different understanding of like morality. 
right? Is it, is it not, you know? So I think that's even, that's one of the challenges there is, is it's hard to have the conversation because we're starting from different points with the broader culture, right? Can I, so. can I, I process something like I'm teaching on Genesis one here in about an hour, uh, recording mm-hmm. a message for our, one of our church plants in East Lansing and I'm t- processing the image of God language. And here's one of my thoughts is, the George Floyd picture, the image of that, that video is, is horrifying. Mm-hmm. But if Genesis one is true, it's more horrifying than we could ever imagine. If the image of God is one image bearer exerting their what power, whatever, over another image bearer, this is not just bad. This is satanic. This is, it's at a, it's at, if you bring that into the holiness of God, it's worse than you think. Mm. It's like we as Christians, whenever we see suffering, injustice we should know what to do with that more than anyone and i think that there is complexity in that picture beyond that but i guess like our what i'm what i'm asking is our filter for seeing the world is different so like even the word, think about privilege, that word. That's one way to think about it. It's a lens, but like biblically, I guess I would almost speak and I don't know if I even agree with myself. I'm just processing this out loud with you, Doug. Just <laughs> well, then everything. good thing we're on Facebook Live. <laughs> good yeah. thing everybody can hear. <laughs> this is, hey, welcome to our conversations. <laughs> So privilege versus blessing. Like, I don't, am I privileged? Well, I don't know if I think in those, like I look at myself as blessed. Every spiritual blessing in Christ has come to me. And how can it not go through me? Like, like I am so blessed Hmm. that in the context of this blessing, there's responsibility. Mm -hmm. Like, if I see someone on the side of the road, I have a, I have Christ is in me. The way that I see people, like I see Jesus on the side of the road. Of course I'm going to like, I don't know that I think in terms of like privilege. I mean, th- that's true. That's not, of course we're privileged, you know, yeah. but in, when I see it in terms of blessing, it actually makes me more responsible yeah like if someone says what are you doing with your privilege that's one level of responsibility from kind of a worldly point of view but if Mm -hmm. someone says what are you doing with your blessing that almost makes it more sacrificial yeah more now i'm thinking of agape love now Mm -hmm. i'm thinking of giving away everything i have for this person. Now I'm thinking of this person that is 
looks like God. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like, I was actually thinking Mark, when you were talking about that, that, you know, we come out of Genesis three with, with the fall and right away, Genesis four, like the very first like example of what is life going to be like after the fall you're stunned by the very first picture is a brother killing a brother, right? Like it's, it is even by today's standards, horrifying to imagine that scene and and imagine what it looked like and how barbaric and the fact that it was two brothers, you know? Yeah. But that chapter ends then with Lamech, you know, it's this weird little moment, but I think so intentionally by God that, Lamech says to his wives, hey, Ada and Zila, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, pay attention to my words. Number one, boasting in the fact that he has two wives and just in your face making a song about it. It's a song that he's singing. I killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain is avenged seven times over, then for Lamech, it will be 77 times. It's like a beer drinking song. He's, he's, like, he's like celebrating and making a song about his murderous ways and i'm just saying like it didn't take 2000 years to to get to that point that is in genesis 4 like that's the immediate penetrating shocking impact of of the fall and so every now and then for us to look at some of our the video that like you're talking about exactly right and and being shocked and but for it to be this oh it's way worse like we are we're image bearers. Like you're saying, this is, this should be shocking. This, this should. It's it's simultaneously way worse. And yet the vision is way better. Right. The hope is way better Yeah. because now when we see uh, a black person or that, you know, the beautiful olive skin of our Berber brothers and sisters over in Morocco or the, uh, you know, the way of China or the, the Bemba of Zambia, you, you see the image of God displayed even in skin color. I mean, you know, one, one theologian or thinker said, um, blackness is the image of God in black people. So when people say, I don't see skin color, I think uh, well-intentioned, but what do you do with Revelation 21, where the kings of the earth bring their glory into the city? Hmm. I mean, hmm. the, the cultures that come marching into the new Jerusalem, bearing the most beautiful things of their culture. Yeah. I, I feel like the diversity and the unity of that under the head of Christ is a more glorious vision mm. Absolutely. than anything a political theory, a secular political theory could dream up. Mm. You know, I just feel like there's so much hope. And, and I guess, Doug, I, I just am, one of the questions I'm asking people is during this time, we need to our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. If you put the eternal glory on the scale compared to our sufferings now, it just, it outweighs it. What gets you excited about heaven? Oh yeah. 
What keeps you hopeful? Hmm. You, I mean, I think, you know, I think of Ephesians chapter two and I think of the church, right? And, you know, in, in tearing down the wall of hostility that has separated us. I mean, it's, it's what God has, is creating in the church and by the work of Christ to display his manifold wisdom, right? His varied wisdom, his colorful wisdom. I mean, to me, what is so awesome about, like, honestly, right now, the hardest thing I've been thinking through in the last week and a half is like, where do I belong? You know, um, as I look at historically where we've from as a nation, how hard it's been for so much of the, of the white evangelical church, especially in our country to come to terms with, you know, things like racism and justice and to actually talk about them and, and acknowledge them even, you know, I am like, where is, where do I belong? And sometimes I can find a, I can find myself thinking I am less important right? I am less valuable because of kind of culturally where I am, you know, um, where I belong. And just even try to have a hard time finding a place to belong. When I think of the, the hope that the design of the church and the hope we have in the, in the future, um, to me, I see a place where I feel fully at home Mm. with how God has made me. And I can look around that place while I feel at home and I see people who look different than me. And you know what they feel like? They feel like they're at home too. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, I just, that the idea of just this sort of present darkness has, has me feeling like I'm just homesick honestly, mm-hmm. you know? Wow. So, mm-hmm. um, wow. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's been hard. I mean, guys, I just, I look at my Facebook feed. I, th- I, I took a huge Facebook fast for like three years too. I was off of everything Facebook and then COVID-19 has forced me to kind of like lean back into it to stay connected with my people um, which has been really good, but it's also been, it's been hard for my soul too, you know, because I see people put out there, this is basically where they're at on this whole issue. And, you know, I see it having the potential to really divide friends, and families and churches in a way that I've just never seen before. And it has me just more and more sort of heartbroken I was listening to Cornell West last night. He's kind of like, I don't know if you guys listen to him at all or not, but I, I've just over the years have found in him a voice that I just, that I just really appreciate. And um, he was talking about the uncertainty of what lies ahead. And we have no idea what the new reality is going to look like after this. Um, but then he said, but birthing something beautiful is always painful. Mm, it's always wow. painful. Wow. And so to me, I was just like, okay, these are maybe the birth pains, hopefully. And I'm thinking primarily of the church here. Uh, my prayer is just that, that, that this isn't just a moment that's kind of isolated, but that it actually transforms um, how we think about the body of Christ, you know, so. 
Mm. I'm gonna get so. I'm gonna end with this. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna set it up for Jeff. I'm gonna give Jeff the last word, but let me just give one kind of encouragement to somebody who might be watching. I want to say, college students, listen up, young elementary school kids, middle school, high school kids, listen up. Look at the man on the screen. You can change the world. And if you persevere in a vision for your life, you can change the world. And Doug, I want to say to you, it's just beginning, brother. Mm, we amen. are on your team. Lead on and we will be following you. Yep. Yep. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was thinking really specifically, I mean, our Mark and I have our noses in first John right now, cause we're going to be teaching our people through first John this summer. But um, you know, when we think about y- y- defining what is activism, you know, and, and like you were saying, Doug, like, typically when we think about that, that fourth category or whatever that you were describing, like, well, that means you go share your faith. That means evangelism, whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, it's hard to isolate just evangelism when you're reading through first John, <laughs> like what should the gospel mean? So the, the passage I'm thinking of is in first John three, because he says, this is how we, this is how we've come to know love. Mm-hmm. He laid down his life for us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, our introduction into divine love was a demonstration of love by Jesus Christ laying down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for brothers and sisters. <laughs> so like John is saying the most like self-evident thing, you know, if that's our first glimpse of love, we should do that. You know what yeah. I mean? It's, it's just yeah. all around the Bible. So I, I'm just saying, Doug, I, what I love is that you're not bringing complexity. You're not bringing brand new ideas. Um, thanks for just reading your Bible, <laughs> believing those first truths mm-hmm. and, and showing us what that looks like. But it, it's so simple, right? It's not it, policy issues. How do we get, there's a lot of complexity out there, but at the very base level of get in the game, mm. get in the game of loving one another and laying down your life for others. Um, Thanks for just showing me, Mark, this community specifically. Um, there's a whole lot of people that have seen Jesus love because they've they've watched you lay down your life for them. So I'm, wow. I'm really grateful. Amen. Doug, man, would you just pray for us? Would you close? Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Oh, Father God, we. I just want to uh, thank you for Mark. Thank you for Jeff and just their heart, Lord. Um, or their heart to, to try and make sense of what's happening in our world, um, um, to help their people make sense of it, Lord, and, and their desire to respond in a way um, that brings you honor and that brings you glory. Um, Lord, we just confess that there is a lot that is happening that is hard for us to process and fully understand, and we, we admit um, and just confess, Lord, that... Um, we want to think that we have it all figured out um, and that this is maybe exposing some areas, Lord, that, that we just need help. And um, Lord, I thank you that you have, um, you have called us to be a part of a body 
um, that has brothers and sisters that we can learn from. And um, Lord, and I pray that you would just help us to, um, to do just that, that we would be good listeners, um, that you would reveal to us blind spots in our own souls, Lord, um, things that need attention. Um, I pray that you would show us areas of pride and um, just pray that for me specifically. Mm. Um, and I just pray, just echo uh, what, what Jeff said there a few minutes ago, Lord, that you would help us to be people who, who love one another well. Um, you've given us just the ultimate example of what that looks like. And so I pray just in the coming days, weeks, months, as we um, lay our lives down um, for our brothers and sisters, Lord, we, we, um, we know it's going to be, there's going to be parts that are going to hurt us, Lord. Um, but I pray that you would, um, well, that you would be especially close to us, that you would, as we step into some of these uncomfortable conversations, um, that you would continue to encourage us and strengthen us, Lord, and that we would faithfully persevere, even in times when we don't have answers. Mm. Um, Lord, I pray that you would help those who, um, whose voices that we should listen to. I pray that you would help um, take away the noise um, so that we can hear mm. what it is that we need to hear, Lord. Mm. Um, just pray especially for Veritas too, Lord. Thank you for this church and um, the way that you're using them in our community. Um, Lord, I thank you for um, just the, the exciting things that are happening there. And I just pray that your hand would continue to be on um, Lord, this church, that you would strengthen them, that you would help um, this issue, help make them stronger and more united as a people. And um, Lord, I pray that you would um, just continue to guide them um, as they seek to make disciples, not just in Johnson County, but throughout the nations, Lord. We love you and just pray that you would show clearly for each of us, Lord, how we are to respond. Um, we need your help. We ask these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Doug, thank you so much. Absolutely. Uh, on today. And man, we could talk for another hour or two. Just, uh, but what a great time this has been. I hope uh, if you're listening, I hope you've been encouraged, man. This, uh, this was so life-giving to me. Amen. My heart is just encouraged. Man, I want to keep going. I want to be more like Jesus because of this time with Amen. you, Doug. Thanks so much for that. Thanks for yeah. taking the time. So hope you guys all have a great week, and uh, we'll see you back next week.